Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. True Hauntings is a frightfully good production. Kilmainham Jail opened in 1796 as the new county jail for Dublin in Ireland. While most of the prisoners were common criminals, the jail also held political prisoners involved in Ireland's struggle for independence. The appalling conditions of the jail are nightmarish. Prisoners included women and children. Men could have an iron bed, but women and children slept on straw pallets. A candle had to last two weeks and there were no windows or heat. Many of those entering its walls would never get to their next destination. So it is not surprising that ghosts are said to wander the prison's desolate corridors and that spirits have been sighted in the courtyard where executions were held. Hi, I'm Renata. And I'm Anne. And as we prepare to visit the jail next month as part of our next spooky adventure, we explore the history of this place in this episode to find out if Kilmainham Jail is truly one of the most haunted places in Ireland. Anne and Renata have been investigating paranormal occurrences for the past 20 years. They have been at the center of various unexplained phenomena and have witnessed countless ghostly experiences. The duo now turn to high-profile cases that have attracted the eyes of the world. Between the dimensions we see and the dimensions we don't, supernatural forces are at play. Evil lurks within the shadows of our homes and in the darkest corners of our minds. It follows us like a shadow forever. This is where nightmares become reality. This is True Hauntings. And welcome back to the studio today, Anne. And just before we sat down, we were talking about our trip and we have realised it is only 20 days. 20 days till we go. But if I do remember correctly, this one will go up on the 19th of May. And we will be in Ireland. So just we can just sit here and pretend right now we're in Ireland. Mm-hmm. Renata, we're, yes. we're there. Eating lots of soda, soda bread, bread. <laughs> and slabs of butter. Kerry gold butter. Yes. Only the best. Only the best. Yeah. Mm. And oh. maybe one or two other things. Who knows? But we've, we've got a bit of work to do before we go. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have added um, a new location to uh, our 
our Irish part of yes. the trip. Yes. We've been agonising over those last two nights, haven't we? We yes. just were trying to find the perfect place and uh, I it suddenly dawned on me to look for a certain thing and lo and behold. There it was. There it was. Only 90 minutes from where we were. Yes. So it's in our designated time zone. But there's something even more special about this place we're going to visit. Yes. What is it, Renata? I own it on Earth too. That's right. It is yours. <laughs> it is it mine. It is all of yours. Yes. Nobody can lay claim yes. to that place. It is yours. Yes. And um, I had a bit of a rant yesterday to you because when I was looking at it on the map, um, and no, I was looking at photographs of it, um, I spotted a church like <gasps> a couple of steps away and I've thought, how dare they? <laughs> and then I've realised as I've gone in and looked further the church has a graveyard around it. Oh. And it's actually the tourist information centre for the site. Oh, wow. <laughs> Have they got a gift shop? I don't know. Probably <laughs> will. Uh, but what is it? You haven't told them what it's it is? It's a hill of Tara. Hill of Tara. Yes. Yeah, so it's just north of Dublin and we've got a nice little pub to stay in for the night, which we're thinking is probably haunted as well, but we know that the Olympia Theatre next door to it is apparently is haunted. Uh-huh. Uh, of course, we can't book accommodation without a ghost no, nearby. No, it has to, it has to be haunted, otherwise yeah. we can't stay. So we're we're going to go to, now what was, it was a weird name, the something of hostage, Mound of Hostages? Yes, yes. Which is part of the... The, the place and you can actually go into this tomb and oh I've you don't actually, have to pay I've actually put it up now on my Facebook page oh, you're bragging, as, are you? as the banner because oh, it's beautiful it is and it's free yes can't get much better than that no especially for cheap asses like ourselves <laughs> speaking of which if you'd like to show your appreciation for our work buy us a coffee I've got to have the link down there below you just click on it and uh Every single cent will go to us and you don't have to pay any fees. It's fabulous. Yes. Uh, but there is, once we hit a $100, I think, um, at maximum donations, because we don't have high hopes, uh, <laughs> we will, <coughs> sorry, donate um, a, a small percentage to uh, climate change um, mm-hmm. What do you call it? Environmental stuff. So uh, it's it helps the environment. It helps us. Doesn't cost you uh, any extra in fees and stuff. So we're hoping that you guys might uh, buy us a cup of coffee. It would yeah, really help. Yeah, such a simple thing to do. Yeah, and we're trying to um, like I I do all my ticketing through Humanitix. Yep, and Humanitix is another one of those sites that donates uh, to worthy causes and uh, everything that um, I do my ticketing through, it goes to education for young girls. Oh, lovely. Very yeah. nice. Yeah. So, so we're trying to be more aware of uh, yeah, who what we're we doing. Choose. Yeah, yeah, who we choose to kind of... Who we like. Yeah. <laughs> Get money. Because <Yeah. laughs> we're, we're now broke after this trip, but that's okay. We're, we're going to have a great time. Yes. Let's let's get on to this. And, and a warning, this, this is a pretty sad story. Um, I know a part that I'll be reading in my first bits quite, quite sad. Um, it's, it's never, it had never has been an easy time for the Irish in their history. Um, and this kind of really highlights how difficult it was back then. So yeah, let's get into it then. Okay. As we gather in the chapel here at Old Kilmainham Jail, I think about these past few weeks 
Oh, will they say we've failed? From our school days they have told us we must yearn for liberty. Yet all I want in this dark place is to have you here with me. Oh, Grace, just hold me in your arms and let this moment linger. They'll take me out at dawn and I will die. With all my love, I place this wedding ring upon your finger. There won't be time to share our love, for we must say goodbye. Now, I know it's hard for you, my love, to ever understand. The love I bear for these brave men, my love for this dear land... But when Padrick called me to his side in the GPO, I had to leave my own sick bed. To him, I had to go. Now as the dawn is breaking, my heart is breaking too. On this May morn, as I walk out, my thoughts will be of you. And I'll write some words upon the wall so everyone will know... I love you so much that all I could see is blood upon the rose. Oh, Grace, just hold me in your arms and let this moment linger. They'll take me out at dawn and I will die. With all my love, I place this wedding ring upon your finger. There won't be time to share our love, for we must say goodbye. Oh, Jesus, Anne. I know. Happy times. Mm. That was a, a poem called Grace, and it was composed by Frank and Sean O'Meara. I don't feel like I've got the chorus. and that It's been turned into a song. Mm-hmm. I haven't got the rhythm of the chorus down. I, I, yeah, I need to work on that. Mm. But um, yeah, It doesn't get any happier, folks. <laughs> no, nope, um, we're just setting the tone. We came across this because uh, we were looking at... Um, trying to visit one or two more sites before we left Ireland and we're very close to this particular jail. Yeah, this is right in Dublin and uh, they only let you book it one month in advance and as soon as the dates go up, it books out. Mm. So I was hovering, waiting for it because it had turned um, whatever the date was that we could go here in Australia but it was a day behind in Dublin, so mm-hmm. I had to wait an extra like 12 hours before it clicked over and I could buy the tickets. And so as soon as I woke up in the morning, I was on there and I bought the tickets for us, so we're going to go and visit it. Mm. They, they talk about it as being um, an Irish monument. Yeah. And uh, I've had a look at some of the photos of it in um, years gone by, mm-hmm. and it's a hellhole. Yeah, very pretty now. Oh, very pretty now. It looks but beautiful. Yes. So let's let's get into this history because I have I have something to read to yes. a letter written by one of the men that probably went to their death at the same time as the two men in your poem, or the lady and the man, a lady and the yeah. man. Yeah. Um, so uh, yes, we'll get into that at the end of this. So I'm just going to do a brief little history. So the Kilmainham Jail was opened in 1796 as the new jail uh, that was going to feed in all of the prisoners uh, around the Dublin area, all the lawbreakers of any age, because the jail that they had there at the time was overcrowded and literally falling down. So in the information that I gathered, it said that uh, the prisoners as I mentioned, were of all ages and apparently some as young as seven. Isn't that insane to think they're that young? 
How they barely even know right from wrong at that age. Well, they're also trying not to starve. Mm-hmm. So this seven-year-old probably was caught stealing a piece of cheese or a piece of bread or something. Yeah. It's just horrendous. Now, there were perpetrators of all sorts there, although most of them were for petty crimes. Uh, but the serious offenders were hanged outside of the prison. And there was a time when over 4,000 prisoners were kept there while they were awaiting transport to the British penal colonies in Australia. Yep. 4,000. Wow. So we probably, people who are here in Australia and listening to this probably have ancestors um, that spent time in Kilmainham Jail. I bet there were some Kennedys on that ship. Mm. That would have been my tribe. I'd say so. Now, the conditions of the prison were really incredibly poor. And this was at a time when um, you paid everyone to be able to exist in these places. Remember oh, the, yes, the story? Derby Jail. Derby Jail, yes. how you had to pay. Yeah. Wait till you hear this letter, honest to God. it's It will make your hair turn grey. But anyway. Oh, I can see it's worked on you. It's worked on me. Um, th- my hair is grey because of all the information that I have sucked in over the last two years doing these podcasts. I Honest thought, to God. I thought it was the stress of working with me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, as you say, don't fear the dead, fear the living. Yeah. Yep. Because they are. Can yeah, we get a T-shirt with that? Monsters. We'll, we'll get some merch happening. We'll yes. have a T-shirt. So inmates were forced to sleep um, with up to five people in a 28-square-metre cell, and this was most often without light, without heat, and there was some sleeping straw um, instead of beds on the floor. Uh, Interestingly enough, Maitland Jail kind of started like that as well, except sans straw, no straw, just on the cement. (laughs) Oh, lovely. (laughs) Yes. Um, During the Great Famine... In 1845 to 1852, um, the prisoner numbers increased significantly because people were starving to death and they were trying to get food any which way they could. And, of course, if they stole it, which is kind of the only way to get food if you didn't have any, Mm -hmm. you were put into jail. Where you got fed. Yes. But didn't you have to pay for it? (laughs) No. I I, I don't know. It's, It's very confusing. Yeah. Yeah, look, the, if you had money, you got more. Let's say right, that. Yes. You got more. Yeah. So originally, most prisoners who ended up in Kilmainham were there for stealing and debt, as I said. But the prison quickly became linked to Ireland's independence movement. And a lot of those that were captured during any of the fighting were placed into the jail. Um, and they were often uh, there while they were being sentenced to hang. So public hangings took place at the front of the jail, but uh, after the 1820s, very few hangings, public or private, took place at Kilmainham. There was a a small hanging cell uh, in the prison, and that was built in 1891, and it was located on the first floor between the West Wing and the East Wing. Oh, they did that in uh, Northern Ireland too, in Crumlin. Yes. Remember it was a room and they slid open the bookcase and um, they had like a record amount of time that they didn't know. So they stepped through the door, the noose was around the neck and they pushed them down the hole. So there was no time for that anxiety of, of this is I'm being hanged now because they didn't know that was when they were going to get hanged. Yeah, yeah. That, That was fascinating. Yeah. Terrible but fascinating. So this whole thing was very modern for its time, the jail, 
theoretically. It was very modern for its time. Still, the conditions were appalling. Uh, And as we mentioned before, prisoners included women and children as well as men. Now... um, And they were all mixed in the one cell too. They were. They were. The prison was called a panopticon. So it was this modern style of creating a prison, and we, we know of these because there was one at in Tasmania as well where it had the five arms. Oh, yes, there's and some the in America too. the central area. This was actually... Eastern State Penitentiary, I think. Yeah, this was actually designed by an English philosopher, bless his soul. Oh, well, they're the best people to make a jail yes, plan. Yes, Jeremy Bentham. And yes, he he created the Panopticon and this uh, allowed prisons uh, to be able to be watched at all times. So you had a circular design and the guard or guards would stand in the middle and they could watch any of the opening wings or corridors um, at any time. But the thing is, they can only see down the corridor. They can't actually see what they're doing inside the cell. So they'd have to be sticking their hands out and waving or I suppose it's so they could see if somebody was going to escape, Mm. assuming they're going to go through the door. Yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah. Plus, it was a way of saving on expenses in having. You don't have to have as many guards. Turnkeys and guards, yeah. <coughs> so, the east wing of um, Kilmainham Jail was built uh, in this style in 1864. And it seems immense. I'm going to be quite interested in going there. It seems really, really big, like an amphitheatre. Mm-hmm. But. Um, you only really get a sense of how small it is when you look inside the cells because, you know, imagine all of those cell doors being open and all the prisoners streaming out to get, I don't know, their Gruel. half hour of exercise <laughs> or whatever it is. Now, um, because the conditions of the jail were so bad, and especially for women, this kind of spurred on the next stage of development for the jail. And so as early as 1809, uh, the inspector observed that male prisoners were supplied with iron bedsteads and females lay on straw on the flags in the cells and common halls. Mongrel. Amazing. That that was an improvement. Why should men get the iron (coughs) frame beds and women get the floor? I hope his wife withheld sex from him. That's all I can say. He doesn't deserve a woohoo at all. What no. a horrid person. No. Now, this was observed as um, a betterment of the situation, but 50 years later, nothing had changed. Absolutely nothing had changed. Um, improvements had not made... Um, had not been made long before the Great Famine occurred. And that's when Kilmainham was overwhelmed with the increase of prisoners. So it was just stuffing more people into even worse conditions. But this sort of happened um, a little bit at Maitland too, because uh, if the women were taken in there and they had to take their children, they knew that they were going to get fed, they knew going to get some lessons. There was a doctor yep. that could call if they needed them. So... I sort of get where they're coming at, that if they end up in prison for some sort of minor thing, that they will probably be taken better care of than being on the street. Mm-hmm. Yep. Particularly during the famine. Yep. Now, you've probably got a story about Robert Emmett. Yep. Yep. 
And so he was an inmate at the prison. He was a rebel leader and he was hanged, drawn and quartered. <gasps> he got the whole hog, did he? Yeah, in 1803. I don't understand why they do. Is it just to... Um... So remember, this is a very religious country. Um, it's so country. that his soul can't yes. um, his, travel to the other side. His soul will be cursed to wander the land looking for its pieces. Oh, God. So during his trial... Humanity is terrifying. Yep. Yep. During his trial, Emmett asked that his grave go unmarked until Ireland was free. And so the whereabouts of his body or body parts is still a mystery. Now, have you got some information about his ghost? Yes. Okay, so I won't go into that. Now, um, in 1881, the prison became all male. And in 1910, Kilmainham was handed over to the British for use as a military detention centre and eventually a site for political prisoners. Now, by the time it closed in 1924, Kilmainham Jail had held and been the site of the execution of some of the most famous figures in Irish history, particularly those imprisoned in the fight for Irish independence. So, for example, after leading the ultimately unsuccessful uprising against the English in 1803, Irish nationalist Robert Emmett, as mentioned, was held at Kilmainham Jail together with 200 of his followers. It's uh, reminding me of the um, Edinburgh, the Covenanters. Yes, yeah. He was later executed, as we mentioned before, and 14 of the leaders of the Easter Rising were also executed in one of the prison's exercise yards. So there's a special, it's a stone, stone cutters or stone masons wall or something or other. You might talk about that um, because that's where one of the biggest ghostly sightings is. Where, where those hangings occurred. There's actually a little cross that marks the place where the 14 leaders all sat waiting yes. for their um, execution to happen. Yep. And Kilmainham Jail stands as Europe's largest unoccupied prison. It fell into disrepair following its closure and now a volunteer program looks after uh, the restoration and keeps it going. And it was opened as a museum on the 50th anniversary of the Easter Rising in 1966. So I wanted to be brief with that because I do want to read this letter. Who's the letter from? The letter is from James Tandy. Now, James Tandy was one of a number of people. We go back to August 1804 who were hanged. Right, mm-hmm. that, that uprising. And this is what he writes. And this is to Philip Earl of Harwick, Lord Lieutenant General, my lords. This is a petition by James Tandy who is complaining about the jail and the living <coughs> conditions. When I was first committed to this prison, it was immediately after my father's death. I was confined in the cell that he formerly occupied. It was then habitable. Of his treatment in it was close to the necessary. The necessary is the bucket with the shit and poo. Right? <laughs> right. Okay. There goes that language warning again for this episode. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know how to say it anymore. And at the time I was put in and during the time in prison, a pamphlet remained about six weeks. The overflowing of the necessary was up to the threshold of Uh-oh. 1804. 
Um, now, some of this, sorry, the, the wording isn't correct because they try to decipher his writing. When I was led out once a day to my food, I had to wade up to my ankles through human excrement. That the food, often putrid flesh meat, was laid on a filthy table without any cloth in the corridor, even to the feet of which table this offensive inundation of odour had spread itself. This disgusting repast of putrid food was for the use of 16 to 18 people who were taken out one by one from their respective selves and after cutting off a slice were again locked up so that by the time the last was served, for it was taken in turns, near three quarters of an hour elapsed. This meat was served without any vegetables except bad potatoes and bad cabbage though repeated applications were made for such. The felons who were the attendants and who often had the keys of the state prisoner rooms, I have seen tearing the meat with their filthy fingers off the joint that I was led out to help myself from. Through this fetid quagmire was my wife and daughter, obliged to be carried in the arms of one of the felons. In the room where I was confined, there were two small windows that opened into the corridor, but I was obliged to have them constantly shut in order to keep out as much as possible the suffocating vapour that issued from the apartment before mentioned. The room was quite dark and I could not see to read in the middle of the day without a candle. After the commencement of my confinement, I was allowed one small one. And a few days after Christmas, I suppose, owing to the days beginning to lengthen, they reduced it to half a one. I was at length removed to the opposite side of the prison, to a room occupied by three or other prisoners. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Here I have to complain of the want of air and exercise, in consequence of which my constitution was nearly destroyed, not being suffered even to a necessary a common stable bucket is placed in the room where we are obliged to perform the offices of nature in the presence of each other. It was for some time removed and placed in the corridor close to the table where our meat was served. Oh. And where we wanted to get admittance to it, we were often obliged to knock for two or three hours before our door was opened. Of such rigour is our confinement that not one of us will be allowed to keep in his room not even an empty bottle for the preservation of any surplus of beverage or small beer allowed to us at dinner, or even for water at night. Our meat continued to be of the very worst quality and which I should suppose to be supplied from carrion row and often in a putrid state." We have almost a total want of attendance and are obliged to perform the lowest personal functions ourselves. Whom to blame? Jam at a loss. I do not wish to accuse any individual, but this much I do declare upon my oath that from my own knowledge of the different prisons in Europe, as also in other parts of the world which I have visited, no prisoners therein, not even in the old Bastille of France, have experienced more wanton cruelty or even more savage treatment that I have suffered for upwards of eight months without having the most distant idea of what I am accused of. The source of all of this afflicting treatment is glaringly to be traced to a person who acts as superintendent of the prison, a Dr Trevor, of whose inhumane, hardened and malignant disposition we want words to convey the deep impression which has been forced on us. This man executes his office in a manner at once mean and malicious. He pleads for all our sufferings, orders from government, of which indeed he represents himself a member, always speaking of it in the plural we. 
He receives our complaints with contemptuous laughter and has insultingly answered a complaint against an attendant by an invitation to a pugilistic decision with him. He insults with words, looks, taunts and threats. And he threatens us and our friends with the zeal and ignorance of an inquisitor. He examines and details our books. He orders whom he chases into irons and to the felon side of the prison, taking care to observe that each instance of such treatment should be one of cautionary terror to all his treatment of all, but particularly one unfortunate starved prisoner, a female, is shocking to humanity and exceeds credibility. He drives through exasperation the mind to madness, of which instances have actually occurred. To such a situation we are reduced that life is left without value and literally becomes a burden to us. Nor is there one of us who, from many concurring circumstances, cannot on earth declare a firm belief of an intention to deprive us of it by underhand means. May it please your excellency, your excellency's most obedient and most humble servants. And then the names of all of the men that literally were put to death. And how much notice do you think the authorities would have taken of that? None. None whatsoever. None. They would have considered them to be self-righteous. They're in jail. How yeah. dare they make demands? They're lucky to have a roof over their head. Now, you know, <laughs> you know where I found this letter. Uh, this letter is actually part of um, the school curriculum. And it's, wow. it was on um, the <clears throat> um, site, the jail site. And it's got resources, mm-hmm. and there are three or four like groups of resources where um, they study this at school. Yeah. And so this whole letter is available to the students to study, and then the teachers will ask um, questions about. So about it. no notice was taken at the time, but they've certainly got notice taken of them now. Yes. Yeah. Wow. I had to read that because this is written by someone who went through all of this and I think that um, it's a a testament to how terrible... First-hand description of what it was like to be in this jail. Wow. Mm. What else have you got for us? That's it. But you didn't have the story of um, the, the lovely one that I read out, Grace. You didn't have the story about Joseph Plunkett and Grace? No, no. Oh, I'll have to tell you that little story. Cool. So Joseph Plunkett and Grace Gifford. Now, there were two Irish revolutionaries who were imprisoned in the Kilmanheim jail uh, in Dublin in 1916 after that Easter uprising you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Now, Joseph Mary Plunkett was his name. Uh, was a poet. Jo- Joseph Mary Plunkett. Yeah, he's he's c- covering the whole Bible in one one blast there. That's, yeah, that's it's interesting. Like he, he should have had Jesus there as well, that he would have the parents and the baby. Mm. Uh, anyway, uh, was a poet, a journalist, a revolutionary, and a key figure in the planning of that Easter uprising. Uh, and so that was against, again, the, the British, as we were mentioning. He was also a member of the Irish Republican Brotherhood, mm-hmm. a secret society dedicated to the overthrow of the British rule in Ireland. Now, Plunkett was arrested after the rising and sentenced to death by firing squad. Mm-hmm. 
Now, Grace Evelyn Gifford was an artist and a member of the Irish Republican movement. She was engaged to Joseph and they had planned to marry on Easter Sunday in 1916, but the rising got in the road. So he skipped out on the wedding for the, the uprising. After Plunkett was arrested, Grace visited him regularly at the jail where he was held. They were allowed to marry in the prison chapel on the night before Plunkett's execution on the 4th of May, 1916. Hence the the poem. Yeah, hence the poem. The the wedding was a hurried, emotional, distressing occasion. The bride wore a green dress and a veil made of white lace. They were married by Catholic priest, Father Eugene McCarthy, and they exchanged rings made from a pair of gold sovereigns that had been smuggled into the prison by a sympathetic warder. Do you know Alex made Sarah his her engagement ring? Did he? He got a uh, silver florin or something like that, and he worked at it till it turned it into a ring. Um, I mean, they have another engagement ring as well, but he actually made that ring for her. Wow! Oh no, he's such a romantic, unlike his father. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Roman, I love you. Right, where am I up to? So they made the ring. They're right. After the ceremony, Grace was allowed to spend the night in the prison with her husband, so they were able to consummate the marriage. Here with the other fifteen people in the cell. I what know. <laughs> no, fun times. Fun times we had that night. Uh, the next morning, Joseph Plunkett was taken to the yard of the jail, executed by the firing squad. Grace Gifford was devastated by the loss of her husband and remained a committed Republican for the rest of her life. She continued to work as an artist and became involved in various political causes, including the campaign for uh, Irish independence. She actually ended up incarcerated in the jail too, uh, and she died in 1955 and was buried with full military honours. Oh, wow. Because they they did get Ireland. They, they got it free. Yeah. So, um, yeah, she was honoured. Wow. But that's why that, that poem was so um, heartbreaking. Oh, Grace, just hold me in your arms and let this moment linger. They'll take me out at dawn and I will die. With all my love, I place this wedding ring upon your finger. There won't be time to share our love, for we must say goodbye. Mm. Well, they did get to share the love just, just one night. God. Yeah. It's terrible. Oh, but they are some of the ghosts that appear in Kilmainham Jail. Uh, this is one of these cases where I went searching on the internet. I got the, the names of the, the, the main figures. Mm-hmm. I got a couple of little stories. But it was the same stories repeated over and over and over. So mm-hmm. I thought, okay, I'll look up some paranormal investigations because normally there's paranormal investigations in there and you can look at the evidence they've got. No. They don't, they're not into the whole paranormal investigation thing. Apparently when we go to do the tour, it is you're processed through like a sausage machine. There, It's not very fulfilling for the ghost hunter. Apart from the history, mm-hmm. you don't get time to linger or take photos or do anything. You are just pushed through and there is like 20 tours in a day. What? It's crazy. No, I don't know if there's 20, but there's a lot. And like they're going through every 15 minutes. So you, you're hot on the heels of the tour in front of you, which is why you can't linger to take photos because there's another tour coming up behind you. Wow. Mm. Let me tell you about the ghost of Joseph Plunkett. 
So he was the one that we mentioned in the story there. <coughs> and he was executed at the jail. His ghost is said to haunt the prison. And he's quite often seen in the exercise yard. Remember that, the exercise yard and other areas of the jail. Grace is supposedly seen there as well. And she's seen near the prison chapel where the couple were married and in the corridor outside the chapel. Remember that for what's going to come up later. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned uh, Robert Emmett. That Mm -hmm. was the one that you were referring to, Mm -hmm. uh, Irish nationalist. Now, a lot of these people that were in the jail were university educated. Well, as that letter. That was obviously very, very well. Yeah. Beautifully written. Yeah. So his ghost, again, is reported in various parts of the prison, including the exercise yard, the exercise yard and the cells. Now, you had something else on him? Uh, yes. So I mentioned uh, Robert Emmett as a rebel leader, and he was hanged, drawn and quartered, remember, in 1803. Yep. Yep. Um, and uh, during his trial, Emmett said, uh, please do not mark my grave um, until Ireland is free. Yep. And so his body, uh, his, the whereabouts of his body is still a mystery today. So that's why he's a restless spirit. <clears throat> yes. Now his ghost is said to not only haunt the prison, but Dublin's oldest pub, the Brazen Head, oh, where he once held there. resistance meetings. I've been to the Brazen Head yeah, with Dave that's... Schrader and all our crazy American friends that we're heading off to meet all again in July. Yes. Yeah. So we need to go and um, have a pint at the Brazen Head. Can I have a soda water? You can have anything you like. Can I but... have a Chardonnay? <laughs> oh, a Sauvignon not. Blanc? Maybe not. I do like my whites. A Prosecco. Isn't that what they drink over there, Prosecco? I don't know. Uh, You're a Moscato girl, aren't I you? I am. Um, so sweet yes, tooth. That's, um, that's that little bit about Robert Emmett that I found. I found him wandering around in the pub, which is a, a far better place to be wandering oh, than a I jail. Reckon. I reckon. Uh, now, we also have the ghost of Charles Stuart Parnell. Now, Parnell was an Irish nationalist politician who was imprisoned there in the 1880s. Now, his ghost is seen in the exercise yard uh-huh. and is said to be accompanied by the sound of chains. That's oh. a traditional ghost for you, isn't that it? That is. But this exercise yard's getting very full. Very full. Mm. <clears throat> there, now, this is an unusual one. A young girl mm-hmm. has been reported to be seen in the jail and she is in a wing, which was the women children's uh, area. And some people have reported hearing her laughing and have seen her skipping down the corridor. Oh, okay. So she's a happy little soul. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, then we go on to a British soldier. soldier. So there's the ghost of a British shoulder. shoulder? <laughs> oh, I need another coffee, Renata. I've lost my coffee. <laughs> I think I've left it at my dad's place. That's not good. <laughs> I'm rather obsessed with my thermos coffee um, mug that I have. Uh, so he said in the exercise yard. Mm-hmm. I wonder what's made. What's the the ground there? It's stone. Stone. Everything is stone. Yep. So it's this stone tape theory we have happening here that there are so many uh, apparitions in the the exercise yard. Don't know. So he's seen wearing a red coat. 
carrying his musket. Now, that's not a lolly for those people who are, we're not talking about mustics. This is a gun, carrying a gun. And some visitors have reported hearing the sound of marching feet and military music. Mm-hmm. Now, there are some rather specific stories I have for you as well. Oh, Renata's showing me something. Yes, we've got the... So that's the exercise yard. Yes. Ah, now the exercise yard is where they've placed some crosses to mark where the... uh, Hangings occurred. The hangings occurred, but also... Oh, there was something specific about it. So I've just done a quick bit of research. The black cross is a symbol that's associated with the leaders of the Easter Rising. So it's actually a sign of respect, that black cross. Uh, And... It was carved by one of the leaders, Joseph Plunkett, who we've talked about his ghost, mm-hmm. uh, before his execution, and is supposed to represent the unity of the Irish people. So during their imprisonment, the leaders of the Easter Rising were not allowed to communicate with each other or with the outside world. However, they managed to secretly communicate by using the Black Cross. They would write messages on small pieces of paper, then wrap them around the cross and pass them from cell to cell. In this way, they were able to plan and coordinate their actions. Mm-hmm. Uh, after the executions, the Black Cross became a symbol of the Easter uprising and the struggle for Irish independence. It's now displayed in a glass case in the Stone Breakers Yard mm-hmm. at Kilmanham Jail, where the leaders were executed. Mm-hmm. The Black Cross is a powerful reminder of the sacrifices made by those who fought for Irish freedom and of the enduring legacy of the Easter Rising. So it all starts to, to make sense, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. This struggle for the independence. And they were so... Oh, there goes the phone. Of course, I, I try to put it on silent. My hugest apologies, but my dad just called. He's 90, and uh, he, he lists off all the things that are wrong with him until it, with him, and, and tells me that, you know, the doctors, it isn't working. And I keep saying, Dad, they can't cure you. You're 90. All they can do is try and, you know, help you out as best they can. I think he's expecting a miracle cure. But he's he's left me instructions for if he dies while I'm overseas and you know, I used to work in aged care so I, I use humour therapy to try and take him out of the the, the mortal and stuff but in saying that, I also respect his wishes. So I'd put him on speakerphone so Renata could hear the conversation as well and he's, he's rattling off all these, his ailments and uh, then he's gone, so what are you going to do um, if I die when I'm overseas? And I said, well, it's okay. We'll get you cremated and we'll, we'll, um, we'll have a party when we get back, which was his instructions. And then he's gone, but what are you going to do with my ashes? And Renata's lost it, laughing uproariously at my poor father, who is trying to give his last will and testament. Oh and my I God, said, I'm sorry. it's okay, Dad, I've got a good sturdy shoebox. I'll pop you in there till I get home. Oh, boy. Oh, it's uh, – and look, it's – and these are the, these are the most important conversations you will ever have with your elderly parents. Yeah. And you you must treat them super seriously yep. but also funnily. Yeah. It has to be humour in it because it lifts their energy. It does because they, otherwise they do spiral down into this whole uh, I'm dying, everything's horrible, oh, look at all my illnesses. And, and like I said to him, oh, Dan, I'm going to have to take you out the back paddock, aren't I? <laughs> 
<laughs> and he has a laugh then. Yeah. Because yeah. in, in his terminology, that he understands what is taking you out to the back paddock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, that, that just sort of blew a hole in my lovely yes, little spiel. Which is digressed terribly. Squirrel. Um, all right. So where was I up to? I think I was talking about the British soldier and the marching feet and all that. But... There is a story about Governor Dan McGill or McGrill. I've got a couple of different versions of his name here, but uh, there is a story about uh, this during the renovation. So they were they were renovating the jail, and he lived there with his family at the time to keep an eye on the restoration work, make sure everything's being you know done hunky dory, and his room was right opposite to one of the chapels. So they must have had multiple chapels to cater to the Protestants and the the Catholics because you couldn't have them in the one. So he said that the lights were on, so he walked up there to switch off the lights. When he got back to his room, getting ready for bed, turned around, the lights were on again. And this kept happening time after time after time. So, um, yeah, he, he didn't have any issues with it, but uh, he just had to keep going back. There was a great story about uh, a group of school children who were at the jail, you know, they're learning the history, and they refused to enter the prison because they saw something creepy beyond the threshold. Unseen forces push people over who visit the museum, apparently, but... Can you imagine it? Like this would have been a group of kids, either tweens or early teens. I'm guessing, and they're probably all freaking themselves out about the jail. Mm-hmm. They're they're going to assume there's ghosts there, and. The poor teachers, they've taken these kids up to the front gates and they've gone, no, miss, I'm not going in. No, mm-hmm. I refuse. And I can imagine them fainting and passing out and running away screaming and peeing their pants. Yeah. Oh, bless them. Uh, right. That's a good day out. It is a good day out. You know, <laughs> we know it's a good tour when that happens. <coughs> uh, there is... Oh, where's this other story? Um... So there is a story about uh, a work crew uh, and some volunteers. They've all witnessed lots of phenomena within the jail. Some of it's violent. There was one story about the old dungeon where it was being repainted and the painter there, who (coughs) apparently was very deeply religious, had complained several times concerning unnatural energies. One day while he was in the dungeon, he would report that he had felt something breathing on him. I could imagine they'd be having a lovely time doing that. That's scary. When he began to pray, right, in mm-hmm. front of in front of several other painters, he was physically blown across the room, held off the ground against the adjacent adjacent wall by an invisible force. Oh. Now Remember I told you that these stories are repeated over and over? Yeah. There is several versions of this same story, and that's the most exaggerated one out of them all. <laughs> the rest of them are um, just that he f- he heard the breathing and then uh, felt like he got pushed. Yeah. But this one, see what happens with these yeah. whispers, how yeah. they can create 
yep. bigger, grander stories. There was another worker that was decorating the 1916 Memorial Corridor when he heard heavy footsteps climbing the stone stairs, walked up behind him. When he turned around to see who it was, there was no one in the corridor, but the footsteps continued right on past him. Oh, oh I've got a little bit of a chill on that one. Mm. I... I was struggling to find a soundscape for this one. So I thought I'd have a crack at the chat GPT mm-hmm. to see if the artificial intelligence could come up with a soundscape. Can I read it to you? Because okay. it's... <laughs> Is it dreadful? Well, remember that they don't like ghost hunters, paranormal investigators, etc. to come into the jail and, and investigate. So what I typed in is uh, using the above information about the hauntings, could they create a first-hand account of a paranormal investigator in the jail? Mm -hmm. This is what it came up with. Okay. It was a dark and stormy night (laughs) when I found myself walking down the eerie halls of Kilmenham Jail. As a paranormal enthusiast, I had always been fascinated by the story of the ghosts that haunted that infamous prison, but little did I know that this night would be different from any other night. As I walked through the prison chapel, I felt a sudden chill in the air. The candles flickered, there was candles, (laughs) and the room was filled with an eerie silence. Suddenly... I saw a woman in a long white dress standing at the altar with her back to me. I called out to her, but she didn't respond. I walked closer to her, and as I reached out to touch her, she turned around and looked straight into my eyes. It was Grace Gifford, the woman who had married Joseph Plunkett just hours before his execution. She looked sad and hopeless. Her eyes were filled with tears. She started to speak, but her voice was barely a whisper. Please, help us, she said. Joseph and I are trapped in this place. Unable to move, we need your help to find peace. I was terrified, but I also was moved by her plea. I asked her what I could do to help, and she said that I had needed to find Joseph's remains and give him a proper burial. She told me that his body had been buried in an unmarked grave within the prison walls. I'd just like to say, isn't this the wrong prisoner? Wasn't it Robert, someone who was... Robert M. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, that's okay. We'll keep going. Without hesitation, I set out on a mission to find Joseph's remains. I searched every inch of the prison. And just as I was about to give up hope, I stumbled upon a hidden room in the basement. Inside, I found an old coffin with Joseph's name on it. I knew I had found what I had been looking for. Still haven't found. Sorry. As I opened the coffin, I saw Joseph's skeletal remains inside. I carefully removed them and placed them in a new coffin, which they just happened to have with them at the time. (laughs) (laughs) Then carried it to the prison chapel. They carried the coffin. Jeez, they were prepared, weren't they? Grace was waiting for me there, and when I placed the coffin in front of her, she wept with relief. Thank you, she said. Now we can finally rest in peace. As I left the prison that night, 
I felt a sense of closure and peace. I knew that I had helped these two lost souls find their way to the other side, and as I looked back at the prison, I couldn't help but wonder how many other ghosts were trapped within its walls, waiting for someone to free them from their eternal torment. What a crock of bulldust. <laughs> it's like a Nelson Boo. It was! But, wow, I thought, I have to read that out because it's such a crack-up. It just happened to have a coffin there and oh, carry abs- the coffin to the chapel. Wow. Very oh, good. But, look, I, I want to finish up with one more little story. Uh, and, you know, the psychics and the mediums, they just can't help themselves, can they? No. They need to be special. A psychic claimed that there was an evil ghost hiding in one of the chapels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. I bet if she was Catholic, it was the Protestant <laughs> chapel or vice versa. Uh, perhaps this is the spirit of the Easter rising leader, Joseph Plunkett, who got married to his love, Grace, in the Catholic chapel just hours before his execution. Obviously, she's Protestant. Why are they going to be evil ghosts? Why would these poor souls yeah. who were literally martyred yes. be evil ghosts? What a, a crock of bollocks. <laughs> Glad you're not holding back hair. Oh, no. Wow. But there are not a lot of detailed stories about this, and I don't think they're going to repeat them when we do the tour either. I don't think we're going to hear much more, unless there's a gift shop and there's a book of ghost stories. Could be. Could be. But maybe it's just one of those places that um, doesn't value that side or doesn't want to show that side of the history. And there are some locations that are like that, and that's okay. But it annoys the ghost hunters who want to get in there and have a crack. Good crack. That's what we call it in Ireland. It's good crack. But look, that that sort of winds up this episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. It's a little bit dark, but we had a bit of a laugh there as well. And thanks to my dad for popping in and sharing his uh, woes. I should have recorded it, shouldn't I? You could have all joined in with me. I get this twice a day. (laughs) Who out there also has an elderly parent that is going through this? I know some of you will understand. I love him dearly and I just keep trying to um, be fresh every time I hear it. Anyway. Yes, because you'll hear it five times a week. Yep. No, more than that. Anyway, thank you for joining us. Uh, Please remember to share it around. That really helps us. If you want to buy us a cup of coffee, that link down below. If you want to become double shot, please. (laughs) If you want to become a grand poobah Patreon supporter and become part of our little inside group, there is a link there for that as well. Uh, And we love you all. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you on the dark side. And remember to stay frightfully good. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of True Hauntings. If you like the show, give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. For more on Anne and Renata, follow at Anne and Renata on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Or visit their website, www.anneandrenata.com. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. <laughs> 